instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 149 for Thursday, August 2nd, 2012. Broadcasting live from the hot Apple, New York City this week. It is fucking sweltering over here. I don't know if it's the humidity, the rain, a combination of the two, but I took a couple of days off and we were, uh, my wife and I were in PA, and it was definitely a lot better down there. Up here, helter swelter it is. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Our feedback line is 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. You can always hit us up on Twitter at MyTakeRadio and also look for us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MyTakeRadio to get involved in any of the chat during the show. But most times we'd like to direct everybody to just hit up blogtalkradio.com forward slash MyTakeRadio and click the chat button. That way you could join our live show chat. You can also listen via Mixler with the simulcast on the Mixler app, which is on our Facebook fan page. Just go to facebook.com forward slash my take radio and click the listen live with Mixler button and you'll be able to listen live that way as well. Something I tend to forget and I want to remind you guys, you can also call into our guest line 347-324-324. 3541 and you can actually listen via your mobile device as well just in case you're driving don't have handy access to a PC if you just call 3473243541 you can listen to the show just don't hit the any buttons otherwise you'll be entered into the caller queue and slick will have to give you the business for hitting one by mistake all right let's get into some housekeeping we got a lot to discuss we got this is the last episode the bit before the big 150 next week we're going to be joined with by the guys from darksiders hopefully some of our other faithful mtr guests are going to stop through we're going to have a few laughs we're going to celebrate as we prepare for the next chapter of mtr uh starting with 150 going forward we're going to start putting the episodes directly on mytakeradio.com for those of you that subscribe via rss you'll be able to get the shows that way 
Also, a couple of a couple of people have asked what's going on with the app and how is it that their exclusives aren't registering as quick as they should. I have no control over that, unfortunately, but I am working with Libsyn to figure that out right now. The interview we did for MTR Behind the Mic with Srinivas Rao actually, for some reason, didn't have that one-week exclusive period that we had set. I don't know if it was an issue with the entry, but... Nonetheless, I've been told that it's officially on the app now and also on iTunes. I recommend you check it out. Um, It's a great interview. Definitely not the norm. Like I always like to tell you guys, MTR behind the mic and beyond the mic are just uh, talking to different people that fall in line to either interests of our respective audiences or just interests of the show. Sometimes it's not going to specifically be related to what we cover, but it's always good to talk to other peers and individuals who are doing bigger and better things. It helps us give you guys a better product and I've gotten nothing but great feedback for it. So we will definitely be continuing that. Also, we're going to be adding more mobile stuff to the app, including more wallpapers. Um, A lot of you guys that have received wallpapers with some of the episodes have been very vocal about receiving other stuff. We're going to try and do some stuff as well. I just haven't been able to sit down with any artists to put out any exclusive MTR wallpaper. Also the same thing with the t-shirt designs. It's just been in a, uh, in a whole other, we've been in a whole other world with a lot of stuff, but we're, uh, we are working on bringing you that. So be on the lookout for that as well. Next. Well, actually not next month. Cause we are in August in, uh, I want to say two weeks. We're going to be doing the unveil event at John Jay college. It's going to be a fighting game tournament. Uh, Details for that will be posted on the MTR fan page as well as the Unveil fan page closer to the event. So be on the lookout for that as well. It's going to be a great time. We're going to play lots of great fighting games, including uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Super Street Fighter Arcade Edition. We also are hearing rumors that they're going to have a DAD contest there as well, which is a PSN game that a lot of people are talking about. So it's going to be fun stuff with Unveil. Coming up in two weeks. As always, you can also check out our MMA content partners at MMAValor.com for your MMA news as well. A couple of things happened this week um, that I want to get into. Some of it's going to be monologue related. Some of it is show related. On a show related note, um, I am it, it, it saddens me to report that uh, DK Stephen Rivers is no longer writing for MTR. He uh, took what I'd like to call a brief sabbatical just to take care of some grown man business. I want to take the opportunity to thank DK for his work and um, wish him luck. And, of course, letting him know that the door is always open for him to come back and write for us. With that said, we do have, obviously, an opening slot, but we're always looking for writers for MTR. So if you are interested in joining a pretty... uh, Pretty diverse group of individuals to cover MMA, video games, wrestling, TV, and movies. Drop me an email, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can always also message us on Facebook. There is a message button on the Facebook fan page. Either myself or Slick or Andrea will get back to you. Please make sure to submit a writing sample if you are emailing me with interest in writing for the site so we can see what you're all about and we can just eliminate that unnecessary email that I have to send to guys that want to write for the site. I got to tell them, look, I need a writing sample, this, this, and this, et cetera, et cetera. So if you are interested, writing sample, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. And like I said, 
you know, even though DK won't be writing for us, I'm sure he may be back sooner than you think. Because we have a fun, we have a fun outfit here. But none, I want to wish him luck, and I'm sure he is listening, and he'll he'll break my balls for putting him on the spot on air. But nonetheless, good luck, DK. Let's get into what we got on tap for tonight. We got WWE Raw. We're gonna talk TNA Impact. We got some movie news. Um, the MTR movie segment is just going to be the entertainment segment from now on because we're going to start getting into some TV stuff as well. We're going to be joined by Michael Sanchez from Creaction Interactive. They are our brand new sponsor for the video game segment. Creaction Interactive is working on a crowdsourced RPG, uh, tactical RPG game called Auravim. You'll be able to find out more about that later on when we get into the gaming segment and when Michael calls in. But if you visit MyTakeRadio.com, you will see a sponsor banner set up with a Kickstarter for the Auravim project uh, put out by Creaction Interactive. Make sure to check that out. If you're interested in donating and participating, you'll be eligible to get some stuff courtesy of Creaction Interactive. They're going to give out some cool stuff to MTR listeners that donate towards the game. So you guys got to check that out. Great sponsor for the show. They're a really great group of guys, and there's some cool stuff coming down the pipe from them and MTR in the coming weeks. Michael Sanchez should be calling us around 12 midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. So if you guys are interested in learning more about the sponsor, I recommend you check in at midnight for that. But before we get into all the usual stuff this week, I wanted to talk about my trip. I um, took a trip with Josh and his wife and his daughter and my wife. We went to Lancaster, PA, to Amish country. Never been over there at all. Never been over there. I went with the expectation of getting some much-needed rest and come back recharged to do the show going forward. I was going to take this week off, but things didn't work out the way they seemed, and it ended up just being so relaxing that I wanted to come back and bang out a show for you guys. It was... Here's the crazy thing. When you leave New York City, New York City is a world in itself. Those of you that are from New York, you you can relate to that. Those of you that have come to visit New York know that there's a ton of shit going on here. Um, if just sticking in Manhattan, you can you can go into so many different neighborhoods, meet so many different people, learn so many different things, and taste so much so much food that it'll make your head spin. When you venture out of Manhattan into the outer boroughs, you get to experience di- you know different cultures, different food different neighborhoods, you get to see a mix of suburbs and city and urban areas as well, and it's it's crazy that when you leave New York, it almost feels like you go to another fucking planet, which is kind of what happened, we get to, drove to PA, it was a nice three hour drive, we get there, first thing I gotta say is, there are a fuckload of cornfields, cornfields everywhere, if you wanted to be a serial killer in PA, nobody, no one would be safe in the cornfields, no one. I'm serious. Every every few miles, cornfield, cornfield, more cornfields. But it's also Amish country, and there's a lot of farmland out there, you know, cows, horses. So that was to be expected. But I had never seen so many cornfields in my life. I've seen cornfields within within reason, usually um, for mazes and stuff like that, and and that's cool. But this was this was a completely different animal in itself. We went to um, first day. We went to a theme park called Dutch Wonderland hung out there, but the big thing I wanted to talk about was a place we went to called Miller's Smorgasbord. 
And it is a buffet-style restaurant where I ate to the point of nauseousness. It was beyond amazing. The food was good. Uh, the people were extremely nice. And chicken and waffles. That's all I got to say. A lot of you are, are probably asking yourselves, what's the big thing with chicken and waffles? Chicken and waffles is is a dish that, when done right, is magnificent. Um, the way it was done at Miller's, they did a small... Uh, Belgian-style waffle, small waffles with a uh, chicken and a white gravy, um, and a, almost like a um, like a country gravy. It was ridiculous. Had a great time. Got to go to Hershey. Got to see how Hershey's chocolate is made. Got some free chocolate as well. The whole point was to get some R&R, eat some kick-ass food. Got to go to Waffle House, which I really wanted to go to. This is the kind of shit that happens when you get older. You like to go and enjoy good food. Some people like to enjoy good wine. I don't drink, unfortunately, you know, straight edge and all. Don't do that. But the food was fantastic everywhere I went. Even Cracker Barrel, Waffle House, Miller's. We went to a really cool pizza place over there. Everything we ate. Even a pit beef sandwich at um, Hershey Park was bananas. That and a s'mores cobbler, which was exactly what you would expect. Graham crackers, melted um, with melted marshmallow and a ton of chocolate on a, on a pretty big dish. I ate it and, and I was in a sugar coma, but it was a great time. The people were extremely nice. And like I said, I came back so relaxed, so focused, ready to come back, do 149, murder 150 and start the next chapter of MTR that, you know, it, it was, it was good. I did come across a Chick-fil-A down there, which is part of the reason why I'm sharing the story with you guys. And there were a lot of people in there and, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics of it or, or any of that shit, but you know, if, if a place of business that is closed on Sundays and is owned by people that are religious doesn't choose to support um, Americans that are homosexual, uh, whether gay and lesbian, transsexual, whatever, you know, that, that's, that's their thing. If you don't feel comfortable with it, don't eat there. But the fact is that I've known people that when I've talked to them about this situation that are that are gay and lesbian, they go, look, man, they make good chicken sandwiches. It's not like they want to shoot us when we go in there. You know, they just they just don't feel cool supporting our movement. Whatever. It is what it is. They make good chicken sandwiches. That was verbatim what I was told. Fuck it. It's not like they kill us when we go in there. They don't know that we are what we are. We go in there, we, we eat. So the reason that I'm bringing this up wasn't because of the whole controversy, but just because people... Like, like usual, they become social media activists, which is something that's been happening over the last couple of months. Coney 2012, uh, all kinds of shit. Everybody, all of a sudden, because they have a Twitter or a Facebook, they want to become activists. They want to share their, 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 their crazy conspiracy theories, their political agendas. And, and you know, it's cool. I'm not going to tell nobody how to run their Twitter or run their Facebook. But some of the shit that you read is insane. And the worst part is that, that the people, they post this shit recklessly without doing their research. Yeah, Chick-fil-A, they, get, they, they toss some money to some groups that really supported terrible, terrible things and terrible legislation re- revolving around uh, the gay and lesbian community. It's fucked up. But, but again, you know, these are things that, unless it affects you, don't voice your opinion without researching the facts. Some people were putting some crazy shit on there like, oh... You know, Chick-fil-A won't 
won't serve you if you're if if you come in as a husband and you know as a husband and husband or as a wife and wife and as far as i know and and i could be wrong if anybody has proof of this please let me know i haven't seen anybody be turned away for that people get served regardless the whole point is that the ceo of the company doesn't agree or doesn't have a favorable stance on gay marriage or or that lifestyle the dude that's his company it's his shit fuck him don't eat chicken sandwiches if you feel bad about it but don't expect everybody to fall in line with whatever piss poor um bandwagon you jump on this week coney 2012 same shit everybody oh my god coney Coney this, Coney that, oh my god, the kids. And a week later, you ask them, hey, you know, did you do anything about the Coney movement? Did you donate? What are you talking about? No, 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 I didn't donate, you know. But but the shit's fucked up though, right? These are are the kind of things I heard after the Coney movement. That shit. Couple of guys, oh, you know, Starbucks isn't, you know, doesn't support our military. A week later, these same motherfuckers, yo, man, I had a caramel macchiato, that shit was awesome. Same same people that bitched a week before, a week later, hey man, this Frappuccino is what's up, it's hot as shit. And, I, and it, just, it just boggles my mind. If you don't believe in something, then stick to your beliefs, but don't, don't try and martyr yourself or make yourself seem, you know, like, like you're knowledgeable about shit that you're not. That's all I gotta say. Regarding Chick-fil-A, they make good chicken sandwiches, they don't approve of gay marriage, fuck them. There's there's none in New York, so I have no compl- no need to seek one out. But the other thing is, it's like you can't tell a dude to run his company the way he, he wants to run it. You know, you can't expect Uncle Sam to tell this guy, hey man, you know, you got to change your stance on that. Guy is protected by the First Amendment. Just saying. Alright, so I figured I'd get that off my chest because it was kind of bugging me this week. And um, let's get into some MMA because we got a pretty full plate this week. Let's get the ball rolling. My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get all your favorite MMA gear at MMAWarehouse.com. Fighter shirts, rash guards, kick pads, uh, Muay Thai shorts, you name it, they got it. MMAWarehouse.com is your destination. First thing I want to talk about is um, some UFC news. They're starting to put some some other cards together. Of course, this weekend we got the UFC on Fox. Uh, Shogun Hua taking on Brandon Vera, Brandon the Truth Vera. Slick is going to be here to watch that. Also, Lyoto Machida, Ryan Bader, those two fights will dictate who will be the next challenger for John for the winner of John Jones versus Dan Henderson. A lot of people of course are complaining about the selection of any of these guys to challenge John Jones, but frankly, who the fuck else is there? I mean, you got Glover Teixeira, he's fighting Rampage. You got a couple of guys still in the 205 division, but honestly, who is it who is in the division right now that's going to take it to John Jones? Obviously, everybody feels that Anderson Silva should go up to 205 and do the super fight with John Jones. Anderson Silva honestly has nothing left to prove. Bloodstained Lane made a valid point talking about um, Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman. I like Chris Weidman. He's our fighter of the month. Props to Ben for that. But I also feel that 
the amount of real legitimate interest in a fight between him and Anderson Silva just just isn't there. And I don't think it's because Chris Weidman isn't talented. He is. Uh, he's a talented fighter. I think he has the tools to definitely test Anderson Silva. But it's not on that level that Chael Sonnen created with his own hype machine. I think we're at a stage where Anderson Silva either needs to, you know, leave the division and, and, and have a tournament for the belt, or he just needs to do the big money fights, which is a, something that his management seems to be leaning towards, you know, the GSP fight. Um, Nick Diaz has been very vocal about wanting to challenge Anderson Silva when he comes back from his suspension. Now we have the whole situation where Anderson Silva and John Jones don't want to fight because John Jones is a fan of Anderson Silva, blah, 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 kissing each other's ass. Look, this is MMA is not a team sport. It is a combat sport. Friends will have to fight friends. Teammates will have to fight teammates. It's the way of the world. That's the way shit works. If you don't want to fight your boy, then go fight in another promotion. If you guys are both talented, you have to fight. If, if a super fight needs to happen between John Jones and Anderson Silva, it's not up for fucking debate. It is a fight that will have a huge buy rate. It'll make a ton of money, and people will want to see it. John Jones like, oh, you know, I don't want to lose, and I don't want to ruin Anderson Silva's legacy. That's not up to you. These are the fights the fans want to see. You know, Bloodstain Lane mentioned in one of his videos that he put out recently about Dana White talking about how, the, how MMA is different from boxing because... You know, boxing is on its last legs, and they're not giving you the big money fights, etc., etc., etc. Well, not for nothing, pot, meat, kettle, the same shit is happening in MMA right now. We're not getting the money fights. You got these guys, oh, I don't want to fight this guy, or oh, I don't want to go and fight this other guy. And it's it's really putting a damper on certain aspects of the sport. I'm very bummed about it, and honestly, I think that the UFC brass needs to really put their fucking balls in their pants and tell and tell these guys like, look, man, you're here to fight. This is a job. Matchmakers set fights. That's it. You fight or you leave. Simple as that. But unfortunately, it's something that's going to be um, an issue with MMA for the foreseeable future unless they start st- taking a stronger stance on it. In some UFC event news, USA Today reported that Travis Brown is going to be meeting Antonio Bigfoot Silva at UFC's FX on five. Well, FX UFC on FX five. Excuse me. That's going to be taking place October fifth at the Target Center in Minneapolis. Originally, Brown was supposed to fight Ben Rothwell at UFC on Fox four, but was pulled from the event because Rothwell had to cancel their fight due to injury. So there you have it, Bigfoot Silva, Travis Brown. That's going to be a really good fight on the heavyweight side of things. And I think it'll be good for FX. I think that the televised cards have have not that they haven't been great, but they've been missing something. They feel a little bit lackluster in my opinion, but what do you expect? Hopefully the UFC can start picking up some better fights. They've had real bad luck lately with the injuries and guys pulling out of fights and all this shit. So hopefully uh, this weekend's event on Fox will be the start of a, uh, not a, not a Renaissance, but just a, a more action-packed month of MMA, putting it that way. In some other news, Anthony Johnson will be making his debut at light heavyweight at 205, taking on Estevez Jones for Titan Fighting Championships. That's going to be happening August 24th, and you'll be able to watch that card on Axis TV, AXS, which used to be HDNet. So there you go, AXS TV. Look for that on your guide. That used to be HDNet, and you'll be able to catch that fight August 24th. 
Ed Soares was quoted recently as saying that Lyoto Machida, if he wins at UFC on Fox 4, should face Shogun and, and have them both be coaches of the Brazilian Ultimate Fighter. Um, he mentioned that he mentioned he ran the idea by Lorenzo Fertitta, and he said that he thinks it's a great idea. Uh, Shogun is a big name, huge champion, uh, former champion, and a big name. And right now, their history is that they are one and one. And honestly, I think it would be good to see that fight. But Shogun right now is focused on getting in the title picture and being slowed down by filming the Ultimate Fighter and then fighting Machida. At this point, it, look, when you look at it on paper. It's true. If those guys win, they should fight each other. Winner fights the champion. Simple as that. But obviously, that's not the direction they're going. And I think that the guy that has the better showing is going to be the guy that's going to get the number one spot. Simple as that. The Ultimate Fighter Brazil was really good. But we saw what happened with Vanderlei and Vitor Belfort and the fight getting canceled. All that buildup, all that animosity for nothing. Will the fight happen? Who knows? But the interest that was going into that season is gone. And frankly, I don't think Lyoto Machida has the potential to sell a season with Shogun. I think Shogun's a, a, a guy that can sell a season. But Lyoto Machida, he's, he's a little soft-spoken, really not a confrontational guy. And that's what you need. The Ultimate Fighter has been missing confrontation for a while between the coaches. Like, legit hatred. Like, Nick Diaz, GSP hatred. If those guys coached an Ultimate Fighter, I'd watch it because those dudes do not like each other. And it would make for great television. Machida and Shogun, not so much. This past week also, we had the Invicta Fighting Championship second event. This is the female mixed martial arts promotion ran by Shannon Knapp. And they gave the entire event on their website for free. They had some really great fights. Uh, the The main event was Sarah McMahon taking on... Shayna Baszler, who fought in Strike Force, she won her fight via unanimous decision. Alexis Davis was the co-main event. She was taking on Hitomi Akano, and she secured her victory via rear naked choke in the second round. Liz Carmouche defeated Caitlin Young via submission, also rear naked choke. Um, Amanda, Nunez, uh, Amanda Nunez also got a victory, technical submission with a rear naked choke. Uh, Julia Budd got a KO via strikes. Carla Esparza also got a TKO via punches. Uh, Nigdali Rivera secured a unanimous decision. That was all on the main card. Uh, Jessamine Duke, she took on Susie Montero. That was a fight that ended via TKO strikes. Uh, Jocelyn Lieberger, who is a, actually a twin, both sisters, they, they, they compete in MMA. She got her victory via unanimous decision against Cheryl Chan. I'm actually very pumped with this organization for a couple of reasons. It's one of the first organizations completely focused on promoting female mixed martial arts. Not only that, but they always put on great events. They try to work their hardest to promote them, whether it's on the websites, social social media, Facebook, Twitter, the works. Not only that, but they let you watch the event on the site for free. It's, it's really good to see, and I'm really hoping that they pick up some steam and maybe they get themselves on TV, whether it's on Axis or... Even on a smaller cable network, not, not FX won't do it, but maybe Spike TV. Spike TV would be good for that. I know they got the agreement with Bellator, but this is a great up-and-coming organization. A lot of talented women there. And I honestly feel that the women that fight for this organization would be shoe-ins for Strike Force and their women's division. I think it would be a great opportunity to, to scout that talent there and bring them into Strike Force 
to compete under the Zufa umbrella and give us some some great fights. I mean, all the fights from Invicta were good, and if you can, definitely check them out. I, we fully support female mixed martial arts here on MTR, and I'm glad that this card came off without it without any problems, and we got to see some exciting fights. John Jones, of course, besides having to contend with Dan Henderson and waiting for the winner of this weekend's fight was also dealing with the whole arrest situation. Of course, he had that misdemeanor DWI charge from his May 19th arrest. Everybody thought that the uh, John Bones Jones was going to get served terribly. Turns out he actually avoided jail time. He has to pay a $1,000 fine and his license has been suspended for six months. He will also have ignition interlocks installed in his cars and has to finish a victim impact panel. After the sentencing, John Jones tweeted, Blessed to still have the full support of Broome County, all my fans, and my DWI, my DWI case officially behind me, moving forward. Of course, we all know John Jones crashed his 2012 Bentley into a utility pole. No one was harmed. Uh, two female passengers that were with him had minor injuries and were treated at a local hospital. So, John Jones defends his belt September 1st. He has the DWI case behind him. Hopefully he ha- he would have learned his lesson. No more drinking and driving for bones. I mean, without a license for the next six months, he's got to be driven around anyway. So if he wants to get fucked up, he might as well do it now. But when he gets his license back, he better not get himself into any problems. Simple as that. Also, besides UFC on Fox this weekend, tomorrow night, XFC 19 is going to be on Access TV, formerly HDNet. Uh, Corey Hill was supposed to be fighting Mike Bronzoulis on that card. Unfortunately, he had to withdraw. So the main event now is going to be Roger Carroll taking on Nikolay Curry. Also on that card, Felice Herrig is taking on Simona uh, Sukupova, who actually, Felice Herrig, she's an up-and-coming, very talented female mixed martial artist. She's a great Muay Thai background. You can catch her on Facebook. She's very, very socially active. Uh, She's sponsored by Alienware and a couple of other great companies managed by Sucker Punch. And she's she's just a really down-to-earth, kick-ass chick. So if you get a chance, definitely check out this fight. Watch it on HDNet. I'm honestly looking forward to it. I'm going to try and DVR that and catch it later on Friday since I'm going to be running around. But I definitely want to check that out. In some UFC news, UFC 153 is starting to take shape. That's taking place October 13th in Brazil. Jose Aldo defending his belt against Eric Koch. Alan Belcher's taking on Vitor Belfort. Quentin Rampage Jackson will have his final fight in the UFC, taking on Glover Teixeira. John Fitch is taking on Eric Silva. Damian Maia is taking on Rick Story, which I think is going to be a really good fight. Diego Brandao is taking on Joey Gambino. This card, initially, I was very hesitant to order it, but Rampage Glover Teixeira is going to be a great fight. Belcher and Belfort also are going to be a great fight. And of course, Jose Aldo always delivers, so I am definitely looking forward to that. In some other UFC news, this Friday, this weekend during the Fox event, you're going to see something brand new. We're going to see the introduction of the UFC ref cam. They're going to have a camera placed in the top button of the referee's shirt. It's going to be powered by a small lithium battery with a transmitter, and you'll be able to see all the action from a completely new perspective straight from the ref cam. That's going to be going down this weekend. The prelim fights will be on Fuel TV, so if you want to see something cool besides, obviously, free MMA, we're going to get to see the ref cam, which we haven't seen since the Pride days, actually, where they use similar tricks with the ref cam. So I'm looking forward to it. Ref cam debut also this weekend for UFC on Fox. 
And of course, it being fight week, we know Dana White, super vocal about a ton of shit, what it's to be expected from the boss. And one of the things he was talking about were Matt Hughes and Forrest Griffin, MMA junkie, um, got the notes from a recent press conference about it. He's saying Dana White that he feels Matt Hughes and Forrest Griffin should both retire. In regards to Matt Hughes, he said, Hughes is one of these guys that I absolutely positively want to retire. What else is there to accomplish? The guy's done everything. He's been a staple in this organization for a long time. He's been freaking awesome. There's nothing left to prove. It's so hard for these guys for these guys to say, I'm retired. It's so hard. It's the same thing with Chuck that I'm going through with Matt. Regarding Forrest Griffin, he said the same thing. He said there's nothing left for Forrest to prove. He won the Ultimate Fighter, had an amazing career. He won the title, made shitloads of money, has a beautiful wife, has a baby. But Dana White kind of made made a really valid point with this. If you don't want to be a world champion and you're not in the mix like I call it, why? What's the point? I get it. It's hard to walk away from walking into an arena with the big crowds and all that shit. But there's a point in time where it's like, you've done your thing, man. You've had an amazing career. You've done great things. There's nothing left to prove. He doesn't like hearing that. He doesn't want to hear me. The thing with Forrest Griffin is, I think Forrest Griffin's reached a stage in his career where he just likes to go out there and just get punched in the face. There, there are guys that do that. I mean, he feels that his level, his level, his skill level is not going to get him a title opportunity, which I beg to differ. I think he still has a, another run in him. But he just wants to go out and put on great fights for the fans. And sometimes it bums me out when Dana White tries to force force things like that on fighters about retiring. If the guy wants to go out there and he keeps winning, then let him win. If it leads to a title shot, let him take it. Seriously, you got guys that don't want to fight each other and guys that really want to fight, you're stifling them and telling them that they should retire. Seriously, it's either one way or the other. Forrest Griffin, sure, he doesn't go out there and... He's not a guy, tons of people are super pumped to fight, but I like the dude. He's funny. He, he has a, a crazy sense of humor. I've read both of his books. And honestly, I think he still has a lot to offer the sport. Let him go out there. Let him have a good time. If he keeps winning, great. If he doesn't win, then you cut him. He'll go fight somewhere else or he'll retire. Simple as that. Why make it more difficult than it already is? Let the dude do his thing. In addition to that, Dana White talked about the possibility of the whole super fight between Nick Diaz and Anderson Silva, which I mentioned earlier on the, in the segment. He he put the kibosh on that shit. He says, I can tell you this, not theoretically, Diaz-Anderson is not going to happen. That's just ridiculous. Gracie would have a better chance of convincing me to get hair plugs. Simple as that. He goes, I know it sounds fun. Yeah, throw Nick Diaz in there. If you really look at the thing, though, Nick Diaz just lost to Condit at 170. So that gives him the opportunity to move up to 185 and fight the pound-for-pound best champion in the world? In what fucking universe does that make sense? Honestly, it makes sense in the universe where people want to see good fights. That's it. Let him go up. Let him go up to 185. Let him fight Weidman if he wants the opportunity. The guy was a number one contender. It's either that or or get him the fight with GSP after him and Condit fight and be done with it. But seriously, Nick Diaz is the only guy that I think would go out there and and really take it to Anderson Silva on a different level. Anders, Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz excuse me, has the potential to do the same thing Chael Sonnen did, and that's build hype. Make people excited. Get people motivated. Get them pumped. Get them ready to want to go and put down $60 because they know that it's going to be a fight that's going to be epic on on a thousand different levels. That's the shit that I don't understand. 
It's like some Anderson Silva 16 and 0 right now in the UFC. 16 and 0. What is left? Yeah, sure. Give him Weidman. He beats Weidman for for, you know, for argument's sake. What then? What are you going to do? Give him Munoz maybe? Bisping? Yeah, Bisping may go in there. He may he may throw a couple of punches, but again, I like Bisping and he's an elite level fighter, but he's not on that Anderson Silva level yet. I mean, any man can lose on any given day, but Anderson Silva with a 16-0 and career in the UFC right now wants those big money fights. He does. He wants big money fights. You see his management talking about fighting GSP. That's because they want the, the big fights, the big cash grabs. So why not do it and make the fans happy? Simple as that. Do a couple of super fights. Maybe have maybe you do the Nick Diaz fight, maybe you do the GSP fight, but do something. You got all these talented guys that got to sit on the sidelines waiting. It, it's ridiculous. I mean, sure, the Nick Diaz fight on paper might be a little crazy, but you know what? These are the you're these are the same guys that contemplated doing the GSP fight. Anderson Silva's at a stage where, like I said, he either defends the belt, vacates the belt, and moves up, or retires. It's one of three. Go up to 205. Test yourself at 205. I'm sure there's a lot of great fights up there. You can fight Shogun, Lyoto Machida. The list goes on of guys that definitely would love to engage you in some fucking fisticuffs. But Dana White, it's like, like I said earlier, complains about boxing, not wanting to give the fans the big fights. Give us the big fights. Stop jerking us around. I think that those fights would, would be great. They would be fun to watch. Anderson Silva, John Jones... Why not make it a super fight? One time. Either either make it that Anderson Silva vacates the belt, you get the super fight for the championship, and be done with it. If John Jones loses, you're still left with a guy who's who's a credible athlete to hold your belt. That's it. Makes sense, doesn't it? The other thing I wanted to talk about was a lot of people were asking if we were going to see another... Ben Henderson versus Edgar fight, depending on the outcome of this one. So let's say, you know, if Henderson loses, would he be granted a rematch with Edgar? And Dana White pretty much said no. Nate Diaz is going to face the winner of Henderson Edgar 2 at UFC 150. I think it's kind of fucked up that you put Ben Henderson in this predicament because he he did a classy thing by giving Edgar the shot, but... You know, you don't you don't acknowledge that the guy was willing to give him that shot and make you money that you're going to tell him that he has to get back in the get back into the line and make his way back into contention. Come on, dude. Really? Frankie Edgar's gotten a rematch every time. If Ben if Ben Henderson loses, don't you think he deserves that courtesy? (sighs) What what can you do, man? It's, It's it's a crazy time in MMA, but I love the sport every week. It's something different. But yeah, Nate Diaz, he's going to be facing the winner of Henderson-Edgar. Honestly, I think Nate Diaz and Ben Henderson will be an awesome fight. Not to say Nate Diaz and Frankie Edgar won't be, but I would like to see Diaz and Henderson. I think it would just have a more exciting buildup. Simple as that. All right, guys, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we are going to get right into the wrestling segment right after this. Oh, hey, how are you? My name is Blaine. I run a podcast called Boardstopping Radio. If you'd like to hear people talk about things, go to boardstopping.com to listen to Boardstopping Radio. 
It's an inconsistent podcast that might show up once or twice a month, but hey, guess who wins? You do. Thanks. All right, let's get into some wrestling. We got a lot to discuss, and uh, Slick was kind enough to actually get me a funny-ass wrestling clip, and it, it's a great intro for this week. So, let's get right into it. Hi, Daniel. Nice to see you. AJ, shut up. No. Are you completely insane? No. I'm not your guy to be Yes! 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 Shut up, Daniel. I'm your boss. No! 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 Stop it! Stop it! No! No! Nothing sums up Raw this week than that. And not for nothing, it's definitely no, no, make it stop. Raw this week was actually the big test, in my opinion, for the WWE. Of course, Raw 1000, you had all the nostalgia, all the pomp, all the circumstance, all that shit. But once that was all gone, what were you going to do? Oh yeah, that's right. We're going to cram Raw with tons of recaps and bullshit because we don't know what to do with three hours of wrestling, even though we have a huge roster. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the first thing that really made Raw stand out was CM Punk. Everybody, oh, why Punk? Why? And he came out and he delivered a stellar, stellar fucking promo. Sat there just giving Jerry Lawler the business. And you know what? When you hear CM Punk's promo, you realize that he was 100% in the right, which is crazy. You know, he's there, he's trying to, he's promoting his championship, he's working his angle, The Rock just wanders out there, interrupts him, gets a gift wrap title shot. It's insane. It, you know, it's, it's, it's insane and it makes perfect sense. You know, a lot of people called it exactly what we've been coining it and that's a real turn. He's not being a heel. He's 100% in the right. He's like, dude, I'm out here trying to do my thing, and you come out here and you interrupt me. Ridiculous. He He's 100% in, in the right, and not for nothing. It's going to make it very interesting to see how they how they write this off over the next few weeks, especially with, with Punk and his almost, not even disgust, but lack of wanting to defend the belt against a guy who really didn't earn it. I, I appreciate that. I think that, that that actual angle has the potential to be the angle of the summer. Of course, Santino took on Alberto Del Rio in a match which is pretty much a glorified squash. Brodus Clay came out there, complete bullshit that leaded that led to um Mr. Damian Sandow coming in and whooping Brodus Clay's ass. So we know where that's going. We got a street fight with Sheamus and Daniel Bryan, which was surprisingly good. I was very impressed. You know, Sheamus got the pin with the bro kick, but it was very, very good. Uh, Kofi Kingston with Truth took on Titus O'Neil, who came out with AW and Darren Young. First night of controversy for the WWE came courtesy of Abraham Washington and a very inappropriate reference that he made about Kobe Bryant. Referencing Titus O'Neil, and pretty much he said O'Neil is like Kobe Bryant in a Colorado hotel, unstoppable. 
course, Kobe Bryant is in the Olympics and he is referencing the allegations of a uh, rape slash sexual assault that Kobe Bryant was involved in, which was consensual, which wasn't consensual. You guys know the deal. So, of course, it was live. It was on national television. You can you can basically hear the crowd just go, holy shit. And it was it was insane. And it's been it's been already noted that the WWE apologized for the statement and that Abraham Washington probably got into some major trouble backstage. The problem with things with situations like this is not so much that the joke was made about Kobe Bryant, but the context of the joke, which was, you know, sexual abuse, alleged rape. You know, everybody is very sensitive about rape jokes. We know this from various news articles that have come out regarding comedians and rape jokes that have been said and and people reacting the way they react. Now, to go back to what I've said before, when it involves comedy and you go to see stand-up, all bets are off. On WWE programming, which is watched by kids, not so much. And, of course, there was another situation this week which I'll address after the Raw segment, involving Tenzai, and that continues to reinforce that sometimes social media is a gift and a curse. Heath Slater came out, cut himself his his typical promo, which of course leads to somebody coming out and whooping his ass, and ladies and gentlemen, that was our very own Viper, Blandy Borton came out, looking significantly smaller and a lot less tan. Actually, I think he gave his tan to Heath Slater, who looked unnaturally dark. He wasn't his typical pale ginger colored self uh randy orton came out very academic with the rko it was it was what it was it was a coming out party crowd was super pumped of course orton you're back you're on television stop using any performance enhancing drugs and just do your fucking job you want to smoke weed go ahead and smoke weed but don't use any other shit every time they put you in the main event or you get close to a title opportunity you fuck it up every time I don't understand. I, I know that you like smoking the herb. We got it. We get it. You're a pothead. But the other shit that you're doing is fucking you up, dude. Simple as that. The Miz and Dolph Ziggler with Vicky Guerrero took on Christian and Chris Jericho in a rather enjoyable match. I felt that um, Christian uh, did did very good in this match. I think the chemistry with him and the Miz and, of course, Ziggler and Jericho is there. These four guys have the potential to put on excellent matches. I did feel that we didn't get enough time with this match. You know, obviously it's all angle advancement, but definitely the, there was potential there for better stuff from these guys. But again, a three-hour show and you don't have longer wrestling matches? I don't know. Maybe because wrestling doesn't matter. Simple as that. Tenzai and Tyson Kidd's feud continues, or what classifies basically as glorified squashes, Tensai came out, killed Tyson Kidd dead, continued attacking him after the bell, referee reversed the decision, we know the deal. Simple as that. Then, of course, we had a number one contenders match with John Cena and the Big Show, and um, CM Punk came out, whooped everybody's ass, and said that nobody is the winner, because they're both losers, which of course led to general manager AJ skipping out, saying that CM Punk is wrong, and that at SummerSlam, he will defend the belt against the Big Show and John Cena. So there you have it. Three hours of Raw filled with recaps, replays, and very, very little wrestling. Maybe four matches tops in three hours. Because the Raw set caught on fire. 
We had to remind everybody about Brock Lesnar. We had to remind everybody about what happened earlier in this segment, that segment, etc., etc., etc. It's like, move the shit along. If you want to do recaps, do them infrequently. This AJGM angle is off to a rocky start, in my opinion. Hopefully it gains some traction. But Raw this week, completely complete fucking 180 from last week. It was not anywhere near the quality that I would have expected. On the contrary, Impact actually had better wrestling this week. The opening match that they had with Austin Aries and Kenny King, taking on Rude and Ion, very, very, very good match. I'm really bummed that they're doing the stupid angle with Claire and AJ and the fucking baby. That shit is garbage. Uh, Robbie E took on Bully Ray, which was a pretty, pretty decent match. And the knockouts put on a really good match. Mickey James took on Gail Kim, Madison Rain, and Tara. So again, women's wrestling, a great opener, things that Raw doesn't have. Moving on. Chavo Guerrero took on Kid Cash in a very good match. I think using Kid Cash is good for Chavo Guerrero. Guerrero did a lot of signature moves that we all know and love, including the three amigo suplexes. He ended up finishing the match with the Frog Splash. Very, very good to see Chavo wrestling again. I think he has a lot to lend to the X Division guys. Don't go and put the belt on him immediately, but definitely keep him in the mix. Keep him there putting guys over, delivering good matches. There's tons of potential there. We had a BFG match, Bound for Glory match with James Storm and Kurt Angle, which was actually very good. I think Kurt Angle, as always, putting over these younger guys. James Storm is definitely being groomed for another title run. We didn't get to see any aces and eights come out, but I'm sure that that angle is going to pay off very soon. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation, and Impact is leading everyone to believe that James Storm is involved in some in some capacity, but I have a feeling that when we do find out who the aces and eight faction is, it's going to be nothing. It's going to be nothing good, just because that's how it goes. It's a whole big angle. They build it up, and then they just take the wind right out of it. I'm really hoping that's not the case, but we shall see how it pans out. Regarding the Bound for Glory series, James Storm is still in the lead. He's got 52 points. Obviously, the guy with the highest points will challenge for the belt at Bound for Glory. Samoa Joe is trailing him, though, with 47 points. Kurt Angle is in third. Mr. Anderson is fourth with 40 points. Hardy and Rob Van Dam are tied for 28 points. Christopher Daniels is 26. Bully Ray and Magnus are tied with 21 Styles has 16, Pope has 7, and Robbie E has 5. And they actually started setting up matches for Hardcore Justice with the participants of the Bound for Glory series, which the winners of those matches are going to get themselves 20 points. You got a False Count Anywhere match that's going to have Rob Van Dam, Magnus, Mr. Anderson, and the Pope. Winner of that match gets 20 points in the BFG series. Then you got a Tables match, Bully Ray, James Storm, Jeff Hardy, and Robbie E. Another 20-point match. Then we got ourselves a ladder match with AJ, Christopher Daniels, Kurt Angle, and Samoa Joe. You know that match is going to be amazing. We got a TNA women's title match with uh, Miss Tessmacher and Madison Rain, And, of course, a world title match with Austin Aries giving Bobby Roode his rematch. Overall impact was very entertaining. I enjoyed it. I I thought that there was a lot of potential there. And they didn't do too much shit. They're definitely doing a lot of good shows as of the last few weeks. I think they're really hitting their stride with the live format. Hopefully it continues. And I honestly have to say, Impact was better than Raw. I kid you not. Impact was better than Raw this week. Let's get into some other wrestling news. 
ABC News put up a story this week about the great Kali undergoing surgery to remove a tumor that was made during a routine WWE exam. Basically, um, due to the great Kali's um, agromagly condition, he actually had to have a tumor removed that was coming in contact with his optic nerves. WWE is expecting the great Kali to be back in the ring in two to three months. So he had to have basically pituitary surgery to remove that tumor. The article did go on to say, though, that WWE could be at fault for not pursuing the surgery earlier in Kali's career due to what one doctor's been noted to describe as obvious signs of agromagly just by looking at him. So they're saying that it, uh, you know, of course, they asked the sports lawyer what was what they thought. And then and he felt that it was more of a moral issue as opposed to a legal issue due to the fact that the, that the WWE utilized Kali's size as a way to profit. Now, the crazy thing is, the great Kali is, is a, he's a very unique athlete. Obviously, the, the, the size, the way he looks, makes him marketable for professional wrestling. But with being that big come a ton of health issues. You can, you can go in, down the list of very tall wrestlers, very big wrestlers, that have been plagued with injuries and health problems for years. The Big Show, Kevin Nash... Kevin Nash has both knees is, are fucked up. The Big Show, Mark Henry, uh, The Undertaker, which they say he just sits backstage with bags of ice on everything, came to an extent. A lot of these big guys, they just beat the shit out of their bodies and they just break down for some reason bit, uh, qu- more um, quicker than some of the guys that are average size, regular height. So... You know, in the great Kali situation, you can tell just but the guy can barely walk out there. Just, you know, have the guy be a bodyguard or something. Keep his role limited. You like having him around. You like having him be an intimidating presence. Don't jeopardize the guy's don't jeopardize the guy's health to the point where, you know, he's got to shit in a bag or he's got to be in a wheelchair or worse. He can die. It's ridiculous. Just take the guy. Let him do be an enforcer or something real limited and let him finish out his contract and be done with it. Stop putting these guys, these bigger guys health on the line. Simple as that. What for a couple of dollars? The guy has a family. It's ridiculous. If you've noticed with raw this week, starting with their 1000th show, they dropped the super show moniker. So no longer, it's just going to be raw straight. Of course, originally all the shows were labeled as Raw Super Show, including the house shows, but everything is just going to be Raw and SmackDown. That still means that SmackDown wrestlers will be able to wrestle on Raw. So while they may have dropped the Super Show title, it's still going to be SmackDown guys showing up on Raw. In some DVD and Blu-ray news, WWE is dropping the 50 greatest finishing moves in WWE history. That's coming out August 21st. We've talked about this before. Um, the number one move was the Stone Cold Stunner, you know, make of that what you will. I think it's going to be great just watching some of those moves. They also are putting out some really excellent matches. It's going to be a two disc set. So pick that up August 21st. Also, I wandered into WWE.com this week and they had a list of the top 25 most personal grudges in WWE history. Now you're probably asking yourself, Oh, the number one grudge is a no-brainer. But there's a couple of grudges in here I forgot about completely. But I figured I'd share them with you guys 
Number 25 they had as, as the British Bulldog versus Bret Hart, which was a great feud. Mick Foley versus Randy Orton, which had that really memorable promo where Randy Orton spit in Mick Foley's face. Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman. Jimmy Snuka and Roddy Piper. John Cena and Randy Orton. Triple H versus Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. Also, on that we had um, Larry Zbysko, Bruno San Martino, Randy Orton, and Triple H was 17. Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho definitely had a very, very memorable feud. The Von Erichs and the Freebirds, of course. John Cena and Edge. Randy Savage and Jake the Snake. Honestly, Jake the Snake and Randy Savage could have been a little higher, but it's okay because they put another feud involving Jake the Snake up a lot higher, which is all good in my book. The Rock and Steve Austin, get this, was number 12. But number 11 was Jake the Snake and Rick Rude. That was an awesome feud from start to finish. Those guys hated each other, and it showed in all their matches, in all their angles. It was, it was amazing. John Cena and The Rock was 10. Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio was 9. The Junkyard Dog and the Fabulous Freebirds was 8. Tommy Dreamer and Raven was 7. Man, they could have also done Sandman and Raven as well because that was an amazing feud. Dusty Rose and the Four Horsemen was 6. And your top 5 were Kane versus The Undertaker. Mr. McMahon versus Bret Hart was number 4. Edge versus Matt Hardy was 3. Shocker there. Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon was number 2. But get this, the number 1 Personal grudge involved Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. So there you have it. In some news that may be considered a spoiler, I'm going to tell you guys now, fast forward if you don't want this to be spoiled, Booker T will be the GM for SmackDown. So when you see SmackDown tomorrow, Booker T will be announced as your GM for SmackDown. Now, last bit of wrestling news before we wrap things up. I've been informed that Michael from Cree Action is on line one, so I will bring him on in a few minutes. Um, we had the WWE earnings call this week. Of course, a lot of news came out of that. Vince McMahon said that he is not going to make any announcements for the WWE network yet. He hopes that he's going to be able to make that announcement next quarter. So be on the lookout for that. Now, a lot of people have been talking about WWE's investment of tout, which we know was coming. Uh, WWE invested $5 million in tout but they did not disclose the percentage ownership that they have in tout. So there you have it. $5 million was invested by the WWE. That's why when you go to tout.com, you see so much WWE stuff on their homepage. Of course, we also have a tout account. We haven't started really using it yet, but you're going to start seeing some tout stuff. We actually recorded one earlier, but the lighting was complete garbage and I refused to put it up, but you'll start seeing more touts from MTR in the future. Also, Last thing I wanted to tell you guys to close things out, if you've been watching NXT or if you found a way to watch it, you'll notice that it's been a really, really good product, and that's because Triple H is completely involved in this particular thing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with NXT and where that talent goes once um, NXT gets televised. Obviously, they're not doing it um, locally here in New York, but... I know that they're doing tapings in Full Sail University, and they got a couple of places where you can watch it, including YouTube, to some degree. I know that they've been keeping that kind of secret, but there's a lot of great talent there, and I am glad to see that the WWE developmental territory is actually doing good under Triple H's watch. 
All right, guys, that's going to wrap things up. We are going to go into video games. I'm going to bring on Michael from Creation right after this commercial break. Actually, correction. Because obviously things aren't running the way they should. Here we go. We'll be right back. Video games right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show. Because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. Before I bring Michael in, I just want to let you guys know that My Take Radio's video game segment is brought to you by Creaction Interactive. Creaction Interactive are the makers of the upcoming crowdsourced tactical RPG, Auravim. To contribute and learn more, head over to creationinteractive.com. You can also head over to mytakeradio.com and click the Kickstarter banner there. MTR listeners that contribute to the project will get a gift courtesy of our friends at Creaction for their contribution. So make sure to check them out. And with that, let me bring on Michael from Creaction. He's going to share a little bit about Orvim and what you can expect. And I kind of am putting him on the spot because his uh, one of the creative directors for the game was supposed to be on. He came down with the flu, but I just wanted Michael to come on, introduce himself for you guys to get better acquainted. And, of course, make sure to look for Orvim and Creaction Interactive on Facebook and become fans as well. So let me just bring him on real quick. Hey, Michael, what's going on, brother? Hey. Hey, Rich. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Thanks for calling in. You are live on MTR, so welcome. Oh, thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited right now. Yeah, I'm sure you may have heard. Um, you know, everybody knows now that Creation Interactive are the official sponsors for My Take Radio's video game segment, and you know, you guys are working on this really cool RPG, which is Orovim, uh, similar in 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 gameplay and and tactics to, you know, the Final Fantasy Tactics series. You guys are putting that out for PC, Mac, and also Linux down the road. So um, tell us a little bit about Creaction Interactive and where people can catch up with you guys. Well, Creaction Interactive was actually started with a very close friend of mine. Uh, I actually known this guy, uh, Brandon Brissett. He's the creative director. He is um, a multimedia or interactive multimedia stu- uh, graduate from USC. So uh, he actually approached me with the idea, and I loved it. And like we we enjoyed all these games like when we were a kid, like Legend of Zelda, Mario RPG all the Final Fantasy uh, games, and, you know, that entire franchise kind of, like, changed our lives when it came to gaming. So we decided to kind of, like, take our own approach on it, kind of keep that old JRPG-like feel and kind of aesthetics and look, but we're also adding some Western elements to it as well. So it's been a really um, ambitious project. You know, it's been a, there's been a lot of challenges. But we pulled everything together. We managed to build an amazing and talented team of just programmers, artists, writers, designers, 
So, like, we're really excited and kind of, like, put, putting ourselves out there on the spot, you know, or, like, in the spotlight, so to speak. Well, you know, I'm very... So we're just kind of, like... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. What were you going to ask? Well, no, what I was going to say is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys decided, decided to partner with us and allow us to get the uh, the message out there for all of them. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that people can check out just by going to the Kickstarter page. You get a little video, get some stuff. But not only that, you guys are only only trying to raise $7,000 and you're almost you're practically well over the halfway mark. So you guys have been doing tremendous already. A lot of people believe in this project. I'm very proud to be a part of it. And people can start just by pledging five dollars and that allows them to get a desktop background right yes yes so we have an uh we have a great illustrator you can get um like an amazing desktop we're actually like looking for people to just kind of like like almost pre-order the game essentially just you know just for the support and everything we're also going to add extras incentives in there if they're coming from your show as well that's awesome man i'm glad i'm glad that you guys are going to be doing some stuff with us on that front because i know a lot of people are the hardcore rpg fans that are listeners of the show so it'll be cool that they get access to that stuff as well and also with you on the air i want to let people know that they're also going to be getting stuff from Oravim if they have the my take radio app as well they're going to get some mobile wallpapers and some cool stuff like that yes i i am supplying you with all that stuff i can't wait to have somebody uh put up an Oravim banner or all of them illustrations up on their desktop so they get to look at our pretty art every time they turn on their computers. One thing I did, I did want to ask, you know, but before, um, tying things up, what made you guys want to do an RPG of all things? I know there's a lot of genres out there, but why the RPG element in particular? I mean, I know you, you were saying that you, you like playing Zelda and stuff like that. I mean, was that the, the main influence or did you just want to test yourselves creatively and expand on, you know, doing a diverse world and different characters. Well, there's actually several reasons why we wanted to do an old school RPG. One, we wanted to, you know, bring back the fans that miss like the tactical RPGs. I mean, I'm a huge gamer. I haven't seen a tactical RPG in years. So what we did was like redesign the whole tactical RPG element and we're just making it more exciting and like just more um you know, uh, thrilling to play. So it's not like more of that uh, turn-based type of uh, attacking. We're going for the more strategic placement. We have uh, action points so that the player can actually do multiple things in one turn. It's not essentially the old-school RPGs that we used to play, but we're just kind of taking on the look and just kind of revamping it, so to speak. Oh, that's... So, like, I also think that, like, RPGs, like, nowadays are just misrepresented, you know? Like, when people think of RPGs nowadays, it's, like, the Final Fantasy thirteen and the Mass Effects and stuff like that. Like, those aren't the RPGs we grew up with. I we're agree. not taking a step back. We're kind of revitalizing it. Well, that's the thing, too. A lot of RPGs, they're more style and less substance. I mean, there's always going to be substance there, but they hide behind... Um, you know, the pretty graphics and all that stuff, instead of just giving us deep, engaging gameplay that that we've come to expect, especially when you're playing on RPG. I know you guys are promising a minimum of at least 40 hours in the game. 
Oh, yeah, multiple endings, too. Not like the Mass Effect 3 multiple endings where they just change the color background. Like, we're going to change the entire game to where your decisions actually have an effect on the world. Yeah, that's that. That's always a really good concept because it allows people to work towards an ending that they really are looking forward to. I mean, some people, you know, they always take the easy way out and they don't get the ending they want. And then you have to go through this entirely different campaign to get that one ending. I like the fact that you guys are doing it where your decisions influence how the ending is going to present itself. Exactly. Glad you see our 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 dream there, Rich. Oh no, of course. I I know you guys uh, you guys got Charlie Brissett on board and I know you've been putting out samples of his work on the Orovum Facebook fan page as well, right? Yeah, we also have a YouTube channel you can check out some of his music, just some uh, little teasers here and there just from the uh, actual game. So he's actually working on that like 24/7 and he's like an award-winning com- like composer, so we're really excited to have him on board. That's great, man. That's great. So, just to just to recap, um, people can go to Creation Interactive. They can click that link there. We're also going to put that link in the show notes tonight. So, for those of you that are getting the show via your mobile devices, there'll be a link there, and you guys can check out the Kickstarter campaign. Or if you wander to MyTakeRadio.com, we got it right there. You can see all your contributions at work. They're fifty-seven percent funded. They got twenty-two days to go. And MTR and our listeners, let's make this happen. Anything else you got to add, man? Just want to say thank you to all your fans out there. We won't let you down, and happy gaming from Creaction Interactive. All right, brother. Thanks for coming in, introducing yourself, and giving some people some insight. Um, your creative director, I know we scheduled him probably. He'll be on not next week, but probably the week after. Sounds good. All right, works for me. All right, Mike, thanks for everything. Like I said, Creaction Interactive, creationinteractive.com. Check that out. Make sure to go to the Facebook fan page and become a fan as well, and also become a fan of Orovim. All right, thank you very much, Rich. All right, brother. It's been a pleasure being on your show tonight. Thanks, man. Take care of yourself. You too. Have a good one. See you. guys. All right, that was Michael from Creaction Interactive. Make sure to check them out. Like I said, um, you can also see their site and their fan page are listed in our favorites on the mytakeradio.com Facebook fan page. You go in there, you'll be able to see Creaction Interactive. They are in the like section on our Facebook fan page. You can go there. And like I said, you can click that Kickstarter banner on the site. If you want to lend a little bit of financial backing to a game that is coming along quite well, like I said, they're 57% funded and you're going to get some cool giveaways for being a listener and also supporting the game, it's a no-brainer, guys. Make sure to check that out. All right, let's get into some other gaming news that we got. We got WWE 13 coming out later on this month. Well, not later on this month, excuse me, later on this year. Um, Right now, there's a couple of improvements that they've added to the game. They've added special referee matches. They've also added a new Predator 2.0 technology that's going to make the action more fluid. Not only that, but they're allowing you to fight more in the crowd, including breaking the ring with big moves, which we've seen in the trailer. You can counter finishes. You can also do more moves outside the ring that have been added to the game. So, you know, you can do turnbuckle powerbomb. You can do a suplex onto the apron. Things like that have been added in there. Also, your announcers are going to be Cole, JR, and Jerry Lawler. Ross and Lawler are actually going to call any Attitude Era bouts. 
Not only that, but you can also pre-order yourself the Austin 316 edition, and that's going to come with a exclusive Stone Cold costume, the playable version of Mike Tyson, a T-shirt, an autograph card, and some really cool packaging. And of course, uh, you're going to get a new enhanced WWE Universe feature as well. So if you guys are big WWE gaming fans, it's worth investing in the 316 edition. Something that I don't do often, I did want to talk about Zynga, and um, they haven't exactly been faring well as of late. Uh, Right now, their revenue, they have a $22.8 million loss for the second quarter. Overall, their revenue was $332, which was up 16% from last year. But last year, the company reported $1.3 million in profit. So... They um they lowered their outlook for the rest of the year, partly because there's delays in launching new games. There's a faster decline in existing web games um, due to the more challenging environment on the Facebook web platform. Also, they asked people to reduce expectations for Draw Something as well. Now, here's the problem that I see with, with a company like Zynga, and that's the following. You have a company that puts out all these little mini games on Facebook. You know, they bought Draw Something. And the problem with that is that it becomes so consuming that people, they lose interest very quickly. Like, like remember the days when people played Farmville, Cityville, Mafia Wars, and it was just con- all consuming. Their lives were just consumed. And then the, the fad just died down because it started becoming more annoying than fun. People, you know, people update their statuses with all this shit for these games and people getting invites it became very, very stressful for people, especially on Facebook. Not only that, but the thing with web games and even apps themselves is that they have a very limited shelf life. Yeah, people play them for a while, but unless they're hardcore into it, they die very quickly. I mean, Angry Birds is still very popular, but you don't really see that same hardcore fan base that was out there playing the game versus, I don't know, a year ago. Same thing with the Zynga games. I mean, draw something, everybody was playing it everybody and then zynga came scooped them up and now less people are playing are playing draw something same thing can you can say with words with friends and word feud and word scramble and things like that it's they're 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 hot but they have such limited heat that you can enjoy them for a short period of time and then it just they just die down now a company like zynga they need to just crank out more ips more smaller games and not rely on just facebook to, to get that kind of market share that they want. On the contrary, they should be looking more towards just things like Draw Something and trying to get more stuff on Android and trying to get more stuff, better games, as a matter of fact, on Android and iOS that can allow people to really want to play them for longer periods of time. I mean, you know, Mafia Wars. How much of that are you really going to see yourself playing? A lot of people, they go, they either pick up a controller, or if they're on the web, they pop on Facebook, maybe put up some cat pictures, and leave. It's not like it used to be where people were so enamored with all these games. So I can see why they're losing money. They really need to rethink their strategy and look at something different in order to get themselves back in in, in a more favorable light. Right now, they're just not doing good because the, the culture has changed. People are tired of playing all that fucking corny shit, Farmville, Cityville, Fishville, um, all, all nobody plays that anymore. The few people I see, they play more, they play better games. Most of the Zynga stuff I don't even see in my timeline. It's crazy. 
I do gotta let you know, and Slick brought this to my attention, that those of you that are trying to pick up Darksiders 2's collection, uh, collector's edition are not going to get it. It is sold out on all online retailers nationwide. So if you do want to get your hands on a collector's edition, you better hit up your local mom-and-pop gaming store. Of course, Darksiders 2 drops August 14th. The creative team will be on for MTR 150 next week. It's going to be great. Um, Darksiders 2 continues the story of the Four Horsemen. This time you are playing as Death. I am super pumped to play it. But the collector's edition... Good luck finding it. In some PC gaming news, for those of you that are fans of Baldur's Gate, they will be releasing an enhanced edition. Overhaul Games announced that the title will be out on September 18th for the PC. iOS and Mac versions will also release during the month of September, but as of right now, there is no final, there's no final date confirmed for an Android edition. It's ridiculous. But, Honestly, games like Baldur's Gate, they only are going to look good on the PC and the Mac. iOS, Android, eh, not so much. But you can pre-order the game at a discounted price now of $17.99, and the full game is going to be $19.99 when it drops. So there you have it. If you are fans of Baldur's Gate, you can get yourself the brand new one by pre-ordering it now for a cheaper price. I wanted to talk this week also about the Ouya console. Of course, we talked about it at length. Uh, not too long ago when Kevin Baird was on. And um, the Ouya console is coming along quite nicely. They've got really, really great funding. And it's been announced that they're actually working with OnLive. They announced it on their Kickstarter page. So now you'll be able to stream PC games through OnLive with the Ouya console. You're going to get a full console class experience, including top-tier games from over 80 publishers. And you're able to play that on demand. So... For all the people that were kind of shitting on, on the Ouya's prospects, there's really some good stuff coming, especially, you know, working with OnLive and being able to play all these PC games, plus getting access to all those small games on the Android platform. Things are definitely looking up. Hopefully, we'll be able to secure an interview with the Ouya CEO within the next few weeks, so be on the lookout for that as well. It's definitely in the works. I noticed on NeoGAF today, and a lot of people were talking about it, that they have released the roster for PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Um, 14 levels and 12 characters, allegedly. Levels including stages for Bioshock Infinite were leaked out on NeoGAF this week. Also, there's going to be a lot of new characters that are, that, that are going to be popping up, including an evil version of Cole McGrath. As of right now, according to NeoGAF, take this... For what it's worth, take it with a grain of salt, this is your roster for PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Dante from Devil May Cry, Cole McGrath, Ratchet, Raiden from Metal Gear, Sackboy, Sir Daniel Fortesque from Medieval, Heihachi Mishima, Toro, Nariko from Heavenly Sword, Jack from Jack and Daxter, Spike from the Ape Escape Games, Colonel Raddick, from the Killzone series, Fat Princess, Kratos, Nathan Drake, Parappa the Rapper, Sly Cooper, and Sweet Tooth. Now, Slick asked, uh, asked me if the evil version is going to be Kessler. I have no other details at this time, but if it is Kessler, I will let you guys know. But that's how it's looking. Those are right now the characters that are more or less confirmed. Take it, like I said, take that rumor for what it's worth. It's from the NeoGAF forums, so you know how that works. But 
not for nothing, most of that cast makes perfect sense. I really don't care about the Toro PlayStation marketing icon. Yuck. Nariko, it's good to see her back in action after Heavenly Sword. They kind of just threw that character to the wind, so it's good to see her back in there. And Ratchet as well. I'm shocked that they didn't also let you play as Clank, but who knows? That may change. But it's looking really, really good. I think the game has tons of potential. We need Every console needs something similar to Smash Brothers that can excel, especially in multiplayer and Sony seems to be on the right path. We shall see what happens. Also, seeing stages from Bioshock clearly means we may see a Big Daddy in there. Obviously, it's not in this list, but I would not be shocked if we see it as well. In some other news, Capcom actually said that they made $16.9 million in profit. It's a 290% increase from last year. They've made $176 million in sales revenue, and the company overall has $238 million in revenue. Dragon's Dogma sold more than 1 million copies in domestic markets, and social games have been an incredible help as well, including the Smurfs Village and Snoopy Street Fair, which, has helped, which have helped bring Capcom steady fees consistently. Um, Slick just confirmed to me that according to Wikipedia, Big Daddy is a playable character in the PlayStation Battle Royale All-Stars game. So, there you have it. So unless somebody changes that wiki between now and release, Big Daddy is confirmed. Alright, I mentioned on our Facebook fan page that Jay-Z was announced as being involved with NBA 2K13. Of course, the news of that were met with mixed results on the fan page, and I figured I would shed some light on what's going on. Uh, Jay-Z is going to be executive producing the game. Uh, The rapper revealed this in the Life and Times magazine. Um, there's also a new trailer, which I put on the fan page. The game is available for pre-order now and releases October 2nd. Of course, with Jay-Z's involvement, we know that it would definitely influence the soundtrack for the game. And I just want to read you some of the songs and artists that you can expect. Uh, the hours, the song that's going to be played is Ali in the jungle, well, Ali in the jungle, excuse me, too short, blow the whistle, Eric B and Rakim, Phoenix, 1901. Jay-Z's Pump It Up Freestyle, Puff Daddy and the Family's Victory with B.I.G. and Busta Rhymes. That's pretty good. Daft Punk, uh, Santi Gold, Kanye West's Amazing is going to be used. Jay-Z's Run This Town, The Dirty Projectors, Nas, Coldplay, Roy Ayers, Justice, Jay-Z with his song The Bounce, Kanye West, We Major, Mob Deep, Meek Mill, Kanye West again with Mercy, U2's Elevation, Jay-Z's on to the next one, Jay-Z's public service announcement, and Jay-Z's ham, the instrumental version, are the tracks that you can expect to hear on NBA 2K12. Of course, it was a no-brainer. We'd get songs from Jay-Z and songs from Kanye West, but it's good to see songs from other artists there as well. Artists like U2, Coldplay, um, definitely cool to see that. Nice to see Mob Deep getting a little love as well, and also throwing it back with Eric B. and Rakim. I think the soundtrack is going to be good. I think Jay-Z's involvement was made a lot bigger than it should have been, and it may turn off some gamers who are just not fans of Jay-Z, thinking that his presence in the game is just going to water it down and make it bad. Right now, I'm going to take the information all in with an open mind. I mean, right now, it's just really good music. Um, The gameplay for the 2K series has always been solid. I've always enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed playing 2K more than live. 
I haven't played an NBA live game in years. So it's nice to see that 2K is trying to do things to keep itself relevant, not only in the eyes of gamers, but also culturally relevant by tying themselves with guys like Jay-Z. So we shall see what happens when the game drops October 2nd. Also, the 2012 Pokemon World Championships are 10 days away. Obviously, we got some hardcore Pokemon players amongst our listeners. I know our very own Slick is is, is a Pokemon aficionado. The tournament starts August 9th. It's going to have one very, very big perk for some players. Any of the top players in the tournament will also become downloadable trainers in Pokemon Black version 2 and Pokemon White version 2. I'm sure that when August 9th comes around, Slick is going to have his take on the situation, but it's pretty cool that the top players will become trainers in the games when they release in stores. Last bit of gaming news to close things out. The first quarter results for Sony came in. The company is not doing very well. Basic, and not and before everybody thinks that it's the death knell, basically what's happening is Sony reported a $312 million loss across all its divisions. The gaming division saw a $45 million loss. Now you're wondering, okay, they lost $45 million in the gaming division. Why did they lose it? Basically, they lost the money because of lackluster Vita sales and also people not buying the PS3 and the PSP. In addition, Sony actually lowered their yearly outlook to a what to what can be classified as a severe operating involvement, um, excuse me, operating environment. So there you have it. Now the thing with this is Sony's got some good stuff coming out. You know, you got Little Big Planet for the Vita drop in September 25th. You got some decent stuff in the pipe for Sony. The problem is that Sony spread themselves too thin. They invested all this money and great technology into the PS3. It's a powerful system. They got great stuff. But they again, they seem to be falling behind on putting out solid games. Like good first-party games. They're just not doing it the way they used to. And they were doing good for a while. You know, you had that that those couple of months where you had Drake and you had uh, Killzone and you had all these games, Resistance, and everybody was kind of really, really pumped for owning PS3s. But again, now it's quiet. Partly you can attribute that to the summer, but... When you're citing also a failing sale for a PSP and a Vita, that's a whole other situation all its own because the fact that PSP sales are even a factor when you got the Vita out there is insane. And the, and the issue that's, that's hampering this, which we already know, are not good games. The Vita came out swinging with some solid games, then shit just got quiet. Real quiet. And now it's like, oh, we're not going to see a good first-party Sony Vita title uh, PlayStation Vita title till next month. It's just been completely quiet. And these are the things that don't help you move units. Not only that, but I think Sony also backed themselves into a corner by not creating so, some other franchises that some other franchises that they can kind of bundle in with their handhelds, you know, something like a, like a Crash Bandicoot, you know, something little that you can say, hey, you know, you buy the Vita, you get a free game, Crash Bandicoot or you know, Ratchet and Clank, something, nothing too crazy, but something just small enough that people can get a bit of a snippet, a bit of a taste, and it'll give them incentive to buy the system. They just think that by throwing all this great technology together and and throwing this, you know, a $300 price tag, that people are going to jump and do it. We're coming out of a recession. The economy is incredibly tough right now for people to just go and drop $250 on a handheld that barely has any great 
four-star A-rated titles out there. This is something that we've addressed not only with Sony, but also with Nintendo. And we're starting to see it. The losses are definitely mounting. These guys need to figure this shit out because it's getting crazy. But hopefully once September rolls around, people start going back to school. We'll start seeing some really good titles. Hopefully these guys will post better earnings next year when the when the quarter well when the next quarter ends hopefully we'll see some better numbers out of all of these guys all right that wraps up our video game segment this uh, our video game segment is brought to you by reaction interactive makers of Oravim. make sure to go to mytakeradio.com check out their kickstarter banner also look for creaction on facebook and Oravim on facebook as well you can also follow creaction on twitter at Creaction 2012. All right. Now, movie segment. Let's get right to it, shall we? Where's your trigger? Where is it? Oh, you never give it to an ordinary citizen. Where is it? Where's the trigger? Where is it? Where is it? Ah. Uh. Tell me where the trigger is. Then you have my permission to die. Damn right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Christian Bale just losing his fucking mind as Batman as he whooped Bane's ass in The Dark Knight Rises. All right, my take radio's movie segment. Well, scratch that. My take radio's entertainment segment is brought to you by Shop HBO. Get $5 flat rate shipping when ordering any True Blood stuff. Movies, merchandise. Enter the code SEASON5 to to get $5 flat rate shipping. SEASON5 is the promo code for all True Blood merch, courtesy of Shop HBO. All right, we got a lot to talk about in this week's entertainment segment. First off, and our buddy Josh was very, very saddened to hear this, but AMC has canceled the killing. The network made the announcement via press release. It ends the series at two seasons following flagging ratings in its most recent run. Of course, you know, it sucks. The killing was talked about at length by a lot of people I know, not only Josh from MTR, but some of my coworkers, a lot of people, especially on the web as well, Film Drunk, uh, Warming Glow, those guys, they, the killing would come up once in a while. And, you know, Josh spoke very highly of the show. I haven't got a chance to check it out yet, but it sucks because it was something different that a lot of people were kind of getting into. And like anything else, as soon as something starts flagging a little bit, oh, we gotta pull the we gotta pull the plug. So there you have it. They decided not to renew the killing for a third season, which is unfortunate. I mean, they had a really great crew, a good cast. Everybody really enjoyed the great writing that was done. It's unfortunate, but this is what happens when you know television executives nowadays get scared about everything. They pull the trigger preemptively, and sometimes you lose some really good shows. In some other TV news, Deadline is reporting that Marvel is looking at doing a a television series that takes place in the world of the Avengers. Here's the crazy part, though. Right now, the connection to the Avengers is rumored to just be very light, just taking place in the same universe and featuring some of its themes, but likely not including any of the characters from the movie. They're describing it kind of like what's what they deem as a kernel of an idea with, but various scenarios are being explored. Uh, they're looking at possibly doing like a cop show, something like that. Honestly, if you wanted to do something with the Avengers on a small screen scale, 
You should use the Agent Coulson character. Maybe have him, you know, take care of some other threats with S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe you get Sam Jackson to pop in once in a while. And you can do stuff with him. He, he was a great character. He was funny. And best of all, you can set up small things and acknowledge small things that are going to be taking place in the Marvel films. It could be as, as little as, hey, man, did you hear about that thing going on in New York with the spider guy and the, the, some dude that looked like a giant lizard attacking the bridge? You know, things like that. And you can just kind of keep that continuity in the stories real subtle, real small. And honestly, I think it's a great vehicle for the Agent Coulson character. You can have a lot of fun with him. You could do some real, like, buddy cop stuff in the Marvel Universe. I think it would work, but it needs to be handled very carefully. Because people are going to be expecting hardcore Marvel Avengers, you know, Robert Downey Jr. type stuff, and it's not going to happen. So if you're going to do that, like I said, the Agent Coulson character is very good, keeps him in the spotlight. Not only that, but I think the actor enjoys the role, he has a lot of fun doing it, and keep keeping the character fresh in people's eyes every week will definitely help you guys generate interest for any of the upcoming Avengers films. Simple as that. But, you know, don't take my word for it. I'm just the guy behind a microphone. In some sequel news, and you can kind of dump this in the what the fuck movie news category. They're working on a prequel to The Shining. Get this. The LA Times reports that Leta Calagritis, who did Shutter Island, Bradley Fisher, and James Vanderbilt, are in early discussions to produce the film, which would be a prequel to the 1980 Stephen King novel, which, of course, was directed by Stanley Kubrick and starred Jack Nicholson. The film would focus on what happened at the Overlook Hotel before Nicholson's Jack Torrance brought his family up there. As of right now, it's in the early stages and is not formally in development. But, like anything else Hollywood does, they fast-track some of the worst shit, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a prequel to The Shining. I've just been informed that Slick is on the line, he has some stuff he wants to chime in on, so let me bring him in. Slick, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? Not too much. What do you have, my friend? Uh, on that like a, that Avengers TV show, I I, I don't know. I, I guess I would have to see like who's behind the writing because after they after they um they canceled the 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 cartoon, which did really well in the first season. It's like. They just really said fuck it with the second season. Like I, I told you, I've seen the rest of the, the second season. It's like they just they did a, a bunch of good Avengers stories, but they didn't handle them well. They did what they did with the old X Men cartoon. Like they did the um, what do you call it, the Secret War, where the Skrulls were replacing everybody in like three episodes. Well, you know what the they thing is? They could have did the whole season on that. Well, here's, here's the thing with, with, with doing the TV show. And, and this is what I was saying, you know, before I brought you on. It's like, you want it to take place in the Avengers Marvel film universe. The problem with something like that is that, like, like I mentioned, people's expectations are going to be incredibly high. Like, they're going to be like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is going to pop on this week. Maybe we'll see Iron Man. Maybe, maybe we'll see Hawkeye. What about the Black Widow? Not going to happen. Those guys, with the amount of money they make, don't do TV. And if they do, it would involve a lot of fucking green. Hulk green. But like paper. <laughs> you exactly. know? So, it's like, 
uh, the, like the Agent Coulson character works. You can have a lot of fun with that. Not not to shit on the guy, but what else is he doing? True. You know, you can do something like I a mean, 24 style cop show with him, you know, as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sam Jackson, you could probably get him easier on television than Agent Coulson. You know, you can even make it that he's talking into like a screen and you don't really see Nick Fury completely. But, you know, Director Fury, I got a report. Oh, Coulson, you know, I got this mission for you. Check into this. That could actually work. But do people ever listen to us? No, of course not. The worst part. The, Go ahead. You mentioned that the, um, what's the name of the show, the, the killing had been canceled. Uh, fortunately, there are still uh, some good shows on. Alpha's just started back up. Ah, uh, yes. And the first two episodes are shaping up nicely to present a good season. Because you, you have, like, a, everybody said that it copied X-Men, and it, it really did. But it's it's basically, it's Heroes Without the Suck. Well, Heroes started off good, and then it just took a complete yeah. turn into Weirdville. Yeah, the heroes fell off in the second season. Oh, yeah. And it fell off early in the second season. This show doesn't look like that's going to happen. Okay. You know which I mean, show... First of all, you Go got, it, 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 it does a better thing, a better job of mixing people with powers with, you know, people who don't have powers. Okay. So I have higher hopes for it than I did for heroes. I actually like the... They had the sci-fi show with the... um. I think it was the werewolf, the vampire, and the ghost living in the apartment. Sam Witwer was in it. I got to see one or two episodes, and then I just never got a chance to continue watching it. It was based on a, on a BBC show, and and the reason That's I, what I was about to say I usually don't watch too many shows that are based on a, a British counterpart, with the exception of like Wilfred. Well, you know what the shit is, and I've realized this as of late because you know Netflix is 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 like crack. Sometimes you sit down and you watch some of these BBC shows and you ask yourself, like, yo, how are they getting so many shows right while we just continue to churn out reality-based shit? Like, dude, you know, they got Sherlock, Doctor Who. Like, I never realized that Doctor Who's fan base was so huge. Like, huge. Like, ridiculously huge. Like, I wonder... Doctor Who's been around since, like, the 50s. I know, but like, like when I'm talking about like guys our age and younger, like oh, you know, like they're really into Doctor Who, like hardcore. Like I never knew that there was like a culture of that, you know, or what are they called, the uh, Whovians? But that's what I'm saying. It's like Doctor Who from in in the UK. That's like they're Batman. Ah, yeah, it's funny. We got actually a He's listener been around for a long ass time. We got a listener from the UK in the in the chat, James, and he said that Sherlock is excellent also. I think I saw the Robin Hood on BBC, and I liked that. That was awesome. And I also liked one that involved uh, Van Helsing as well. That was, that was some awesome shit. And I'm like, wow, the BBC puts out some really good stuff. And, and, and it's starting to make its way over here. But certain shows, like I said, Doctor Who, um, it's a, it shocked me. No, but I have an answer to your question as to why they have all these good shows and we just have shit. Because the people, it's it's basically the people who are in charge of television over there, 
they actually sit and read these scripts. And apparently they will say, oh, this looks great. We're going to start production on this right away. Oh, this here? No, this is shit. You're not, we're not putting this on my fucking channel. This is shit. Whereas somebody over here will be like, eh, it's shit, but fuck it. What else are we going to watch? This is true. I got I to gotta correct myself. James, uh, James in the chat is actually from the U.S. The guy that was from the U.K. left. But James did acknowledge, you know, some of the great uh, BBC programming. And like I said, it, and, and you bring up a very valid point. It's very easy for them to phone it in on television because it has such short shelf life that they can just churn out other shit. You know, uh, we, we got good shows out there. Modern Family, Community, um, Fringe, which is on its way out. Um, you know, good, good, solid shows that are, that are, that can actually engage the audience and people enjoy watching them. And then you got shows that have become complete shadows of themselves. Like the office, the office has become complete shit. I don't even understand how that show's still on, especially because it's a show based off an English show that started off extremely funny and then just tanked completely towards the end. crazy and then you have the new shows coming out and i have to shit on this because I, I watched yesterday the trailer for arrow and i'm like this is gonna be trash i actually have news regarding arrow but hopefully you won't spoil it but go ahead no i don't, I don't have any news I, like i said i watched the trailer it's like more than ever i'm like why the fuck did they not just rehire justin hartley well, Andrea said the same thing, and here's the here's the thing I got to say about Arrow just as a, as a whole. I think that the CW came upon its uh, upon the fact that that the superhero genre, especially when geared towards the tween demographic, does extremely well. So they're like, "All right, we lost Smallville, which was written good up until you know the last few seasons, which we've talked about at length when you've been on before." No, Small, Smallville was written well through season two. Right. Then it went to shit for seven years. Well, dude, the, the, the Doomsday Arc... Smatterings of good writing. Yeah, the Doomsday Arc just bugged me out, and I didn't even watch Smallville. Like, I, like you know, Andrea watched Smallville, you watched it, but I didn't watch it because I was just confused at the fact that they they dragged out the story for so long without really making him Superman. You know what I'm saying? Like, they kept it... They kept it so grounded in, you know, teen angst and all this shit, which is fine. And, you know, that's good. But they lost sight of the core of the character towards the other, the later seasons. And then they came full circle. They're like, all right, we're going to make him a complete superhero. It was, it was too late. The audience had already been soured. I've always said that I'd be interested to see them, not the CW, but just any particular network try and tackle a young Batman. I think the possibility of doing a young Batman would be phenomenal on multiple levels. You know, you can get a a, a suave-looking dude. You know, he could run out, just do really reckless stuff, get yelled at by Alfred. Because you know what it is? They've always said that Batman started when he was fairly young. You know, like Christian Bale, he kind of plays Batman. And I, I think the Batman he plays probably is in his 30s, late 30s, mid-30s. You know, let's do a Batman that, that started... You know, in his 20s, I think that doing a Batman in, in his 20s would be ridiculous. You know, you got this kid. He wants to go out and, and exact revenge. 
but he's also young and doesn't know how to be a multimillionaire. And, you know, he goes out, he tries to spend his money recklessly. Hey, Alfred, you know, I bought this gold toilet this week. Master Wayne, that's not what you're supposed to be doing, you know? Like, you have a lot of fun with that. Not only that, but it'll allow you to create new new visions of characters we've grown up with. And make it a little dark, not this CW cookie-cutter shit, you know? So basically what she would be asking for would be like a continuation of the year one story. Yeah, a little bit. I think year one... Year... Something like that would really need to be on HBO. Well, I'm not saying to make it super ultra-violent, but, you know, within reason, uh, applicable to the demographic that suits it. You get what I'm saying? Like, look at how they did Smallville initially in that first season, you know, that, that, that season that was like, holy shit. And then the second season, you know, it was, it was eh. But what I'm saying is that same kind of storytelling, that same, because all you got to do is tell that first story in the first episode, you know, we, you know, hey, my name is Bruce Wayne. And at night I get dressed up and go out like a giant bat to fight crime. You know, just have a little fun with it. And you're probably asking yourself, why do I do it? And then, you know, you could do a flashback, boom, his parents get killed. And you can have fun with that. Cast a younger Jim Gordon who was just starting out in the force. Have a little fun with it to the point where it it brings the story to a younger audience and makes it uh, tangible for them to, to agree with it. But the reason why I say it would need to be done by, like, an HBO or a Showtime is, remember when Arkham City came out and, like, a couple of weeks later, everybody's complaining, oh, how, how come every five seconds they call a child woman a bitch? I'm like, Gotham City is a cesspool. Well, you know what's funny? that, that You make a, a valid point with that because the language... The, the use of, of of cursing on television has changed. I was watching, I watch a lot of USA programming. Uh, those of you that know me very well know, you know, burn notice, suits, white collar, all that shit. And especially on suits, you know, on suits, they'll be like, you know, you're a real son of a bitch. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, it's nine o'clock. Really? You know, like somebody would get called an asshole or, or you know, you're a son of a bitch or, you're, or, or you know, you're like, like they definitely toe that line into the gray area. Even bitch. I've heard bitch used at 8.30 at night, 9 o'clock on USA. You know, because the cable guidelines are a little looser. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe you need to see something like 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 Young Batman on FX. FX would be a good network for that. FX would be good. FX would be good, not super violent. And even if you don't want to do Young Bruce Wayne, how about a, a live-action Batman Beyond with an old Bruce Wayne? And dude, make the old Bruce Wayne played by Michael Keaton. What the fuck is he doing? <laughs> Seriously, like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be a complete asshole, but you know, you, you get so well. Yeah, dude, but look, a young you know, you get Michael Keaton, he's an older Bruce Wayne, get the Terry McGinnis, it allows you to get, you know, like a heart throbby, dreamy looking, tiger beat looking dude, throw him in there. And you know James. James in the chat made a good point. You know, have him get make have him get his ass whooped through a lot of episodes. You know, while he's starting to learn the hang of being Batman. Because think about it, Batman didn't exactly go out there and yeah, he knew how to fight, but you know, Batman had to get his ass kicked a couple of times. You're not always going to yeah, fight. Batman you know, purse snatcher A kept him alive with a suit. Exactly, it's not like he's fighting purse snatcher A. You get what I'm saying all the time. Like anything else, even the Punisher gets shot once in a while, <laughs> and have a lot of fun with that. I think that that 
the problem is that DC obviously is going to be very, very. They're going to keep the the Batman character very close to the chest. But dude, it it would work so well. Just have him recklessly spending money, flashy cars, just doing real crazy stuff. It would work, man. The only other character in the DC universe that I can see getting the TV treatment that would work besides like Green Arrow and the Flash, which we've seen, and and you're probably going to laugh, is Shazam. Shazam? The the only thing that's touchy about that is the kid. It's like, well, he's Billy. Right, but you can do a lot of stuff as Billy. Well, Billy Billy also has been aged a lot in the books, you know? Like, they've aged him enough where, you know, there's some books where he's, like, 15 now or some shit. You know, you can you can do a lot with that and have you can have a lot of fun with that because you get to allow that whole teen angst element. Like, imagine going to school every day knowing that if you say that one word, you can beat that bully's ass. You see what I'm saying? Because then you can, you can, you can use that and, and tell stories that, again, the kids can relate to. Because here you got this kid, he has all this power, you know, but he gets shoved in the locker every day. And as much as he wants to say Shazam and break the guy's neck, he can't. True. Dude, the shit writes itself. People would get behind that, but again, don't make it super cheesy. Well, they kind of have to. I mean, his nickname is Big Cheese. Right, but but I mean cheesy. When I'm talking, when I mean cheese, I mean cheesy to the point where there's no level of seriousness. Because the thing, the beauty of Shazam is that he has some bad villains, like Black Adam. Absolutely. You know, so you can do you can do a lot of great stuff, but still keep that youth angle in there. I I think DC has a better stable of characters to do that with because Marvel hasn't really ventured into the small screen. Like I think the the Avengers and when I mean into the small screen, I mean you know from a live action standpoint. I haven't seen a legit live action Marvel show in a while. <laughs> Try ever. You know what I mean? I mean, we could go back Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, Incredible Hulk, you know, where where Thor and Daredevil popped up and you're just like, "Really? You serious, dude?" Like Daredevil. Daredevil would be a good cable show on FX. And Shazam would be the CW's chance to do Smallville, right? Yes. A friend of mine said it said it best. He said, Smallville should have been four seasons. When he graduated high school, they should have ended the show. And then guess what you could have done? You could have done a movie with Tom Welling. Yep. But Tom Welling, no, I don't want to be associated with, you know, I don't want to be Superman forever. What the fuck are you doing? You don't want to be Superman forever, but you did it for 10 fucking years. There you go. But but I don't want that to be the only role I'm known for. Okay, great. Guess what? <laughs> That's all we when know you, you for. When you do a show for 10 fucking years, it's the only role you're known for. Well, while I have you, while I have you on, on the phone, I actually want to go over two news stories with you before I let you go. And this one goes into the what the fuck movie news category. And that involves, get this, Rush Hour 4. (laughs) Yeah. Check this out. So Arthur Sarkissian, who's the producer for for, uh, Rush Hour, actually gave a little bit of insight into what they want to do. And he said, I'm I'm trying to do it closer to how I did Rush Hour 1. More down to earth, more gritty. I want to introduce two new characters and make it 
make it real the way the first one was. I personally was not happy with the third one. I thought one and two were very good. I think three got out of hand a bit. It's not a matter of just bringing them back to do another segment of that or a sequel or or putting them in another city or having them bicker. I don't want that. I want something new. And, you know, of course, the people that were interviewing him asked him if the changes were inspired by Fast Five, where, you know, obviously in Fast Five, they kept all the characters. He said um, they took them and put them in a whole different world. They put them in a world of a heist movie and it worked. Maybe Chris Tucker is now married. Maybe Jackie Chan is married to Octavia Spencer. I don't know. Married to Chris's cousin. They live in Shanghai. Chris goes out to visit them. I want something energetic. They asked him if Brett Ratner would come back, and he said he's more than welcome to do it, but he's got to do it the right way. Now, with that said, do you agree with his statement that Rush Hour 1 and 2 were good and 3 was shit? 1 and 2 definitely were good, but they also were at a time where Chris Tucker was relevant. Aha! And that, my friends, is the $6 million question. Can Chris Tucker even carry this shit anymore? My thing was, after he did Friday and after he did Rush Hour, he got too big for his britches, and he's like, he decided, oh, I'm a fucking movie star. I need millions and millions for every fucking movie. And people were like, you're fucking Chris Tucker. Fuck you. And pretty, pretty much. guess who disappeared for 10 plus years? Chris Tucker. It's like, now, after all this time, you're fucking doing Friday. Yep. You're doing Friday and you're doing Rush Hour, because guess what? You don't have any fucking money. That's pretty much it. And Jackie Chan... You're not doing shit, and you said, let me pick these up because they're easy paychecks. Well, Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan was a dude... That said, you know, like Jackie Chan enjoys doing fun stuff. You know, he likes going out, doing cool shit, but it's definitely not, you know, it, it's not on that level where he's trying to get a quick payday, you know? Let Jackie, me stop you for one second. Guess what? Jackie Chan's still relevant. Of course. It doesn't matter what the fuck he wants to do. <laughs> Jackie you're Chan, because it's true, uh, dude. Here's the beauty of Jackie Chan, and it's silly as shit. But Jackie Chan can can do commercials for Palm Olive, and I'll exactly. watch them. And I'll watch them because Jackie Chan is just an enjoyable dude. Because his brand of martial arts is just great to watch because it's visually appealing. Like the problem with Chris Tucker, it's like he's too busy thinking that he's still Ruby Rod. It's like, dude, you're not you're not the man. You haven't been the man in a long fucking time. Do this movie and shut the fuck up. He's trying to live his life by the Jay-Z rule. Fuck you, pay me. But guess what? You didn't make Jay-Z money. Nope. Not only that, but you didn't get to a level where people were willing to part with money because you can carry a movie by yourself. Because Chris Tucker built his career playing a second banana to everyone. 
Play the second banana of the ice cube. I was going to say, you may have been one of the high points of Friday, but guess what? You were Ice Cube's sidekick. Yep, you were Ice Cube's sidekick. Get this, you were Charlie Sheen's sidekick. That's all I got to say. You know that, because he did that one fucking crime flick with him. Then he was Jackie Chan's sidekick. Shall I continue? Your entire career is based on being the Robin to somebody's Batman. Give that motherfucker some green scaly tights. D- dude, no, that, that's all dude, it is. Just give him some underoos. He doesn't even get the tights. He gets the underoos and the fucking Robin Hood footies. Dude, it's it's absurd that, you know, you have to talk about Rush Hour 4 and it becomes... Look, remember how long it took for the third one to get made because he was holding out for money? Remember that shit? Mm-hmm. Terrible, dude. Terrible. And the uh, the other bit of movie news I wanted, and it's because I wanted a different spin on it, and, and I've talked about this at length. I talked about it last week. But check this out. TMZ reports that the mother of one of the 12 people that was killed in the shooting in Colorado is planning on suing the movie theater. Shirley Weigal has hired a lawyer in Los Angeles to handle her case. Her 32-year-old daughter, Rebecca, was shot and killed in the massacre. Sources say she believes the theater's emergency room exit, emergency room, emergency exit doors should have been alarmed or there should have been security guards next next to them, especially for a big premiere like like The Dark Knight Rises. Holmes, of course, we already know, has been charged. He'll probably die in jail. He may get killed. He may kill himself. He may eat the gas chamber. Who knows? But this lady's suing the movie theater. Now, I talked about this at length when when it happened and we did the show because I felt that there was relevance there, but from, from a, from an emotional standpoint, let's say you sue them and you win. It's not bringing your daughter back. You get what I'm saying? I was saying? about to say something along those lines. It's like when shit like this happens and people start coming out of the woodwork for a paycheck, I would love to walk up in that fucking, that courtroom. Like, yeah, I'm like, can I have a minute? I just want to talk to this bitch for a minute. Like, listen, you say you're suing for pain and suffering. Let's say you win this fucking lawsuit and get your money. Is the pain and suffering of your daughter being dead going to go away? Probably not. Probably not, dude. Even if, even if you hit up the theater and you get, you know, a couple hundred grand, maybe a million bucks... It's like, yeah, you have a million dollars in a bank account, but you can never enjoy them. You can never take your daughter out to dinner. You can never say, hey, we got this money. Let's go on a cruise. You can never see if she has grand, you know, if you have grandchildren, because she's still not going to be there. Like, this is the shit that yeah, bo- it's like, it no boggles my mind. No matter how you look at it, no matter how you look at that shit. No, she didn't. She didn't break a law. She didn't rob anybody. She didn't kill anybody for it. But every dollar of that money you spend, it's fucking blood money, you stupid bitch. There you go. Well, here's here's the kicker. Blood money. Here's the kicker, and I and I and and the reason I shared this story with you is because can you believe? And this has been happening on Tumblr, which I know you don't really mess with. But yo. The guy that did the massacre has developed his own fan base called Holmies. H-O-L-M-I-E-S. 
Dude, have every we, one of them we hit have rock their genitals shoved in a fucking meat grinder. Dude, we have honestly hit rock bottom as a society. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've had instances, you know, people that were Manson groupies that were fans of Jeffrey. We've seen all that shit. But dude, you, the, we didn't have social media back then. We didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr where people can see who you are. And these people are like, yo, I'm wearing my flannel today. You know, just being a homie. I'm like, wow. Like, it's insane. I, I you know, I, I thought, and I read about it. I was like, this can't be legit. So, you know, I started fishing around Tumblr and looking, and I'm like, wow. This is insane. Like, legit, hardcore, like, yo, I'm wearing flannel today. And, you know, supporting my boy. What? What are you doing? I said it, now I'm say it again. Initiation into the homies should be that your fucking genitals get shoved into a meat grinder and the fucking results should be fed to, fed to Colorado sewer rats. Dude, I, I couldn't even believe that. Like, the lady suing, yeah, like I said, we can we can definitely share a split opinion. Because we, we can't say, you know, she's suing for pain and suffering. You know, yeah, she's going to get the money. Won't bring her daughter back. Whatever. But, you know, we actually are seeing people that are becoming legit groupies of a guy that walked into a movie theater and opened fire on a crowd and killed children. And people are actually going out there and showing their faces and supporting this dude. I don't know, you know, I don't even, I don't understand if it's because you want to be edgy or you think it's cool. But yeah, you know, that that is some real trash bag garbage to say the least. What I would do and I think the dearly departed excuse me. I thank the dearly departed George Carlin for his sick mind in, in giving me this thought. Uh-oh. I would let the homies meet their famous homie. I would have them walk into a room, and he'd be standing in there, and they could all gather in that room. But that room would really be a big box. And that box would be sitting on fucking train track, and I'd have a freight train plow through that shit. Dude, I don't get it, man. I really don't. And I put it on pay-per-view and I give the proceeds to the dumb bitch who's suing the movie theater. <laughs> well played. There you fucking go. There's your paycheck, bitch. Jesus. Dude, it's it's a it, it it it's a sad state of affairs, dude. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find the uh the homies link so you can see it later on. Anything else you want to add, my friend? The awfulness. That's all I want to say is the awfulness. There you have it. All right, brother. All right, peace. Peace. All right, let's wrap up these movie news. We got a couple of things we want to talk about. There's um, some confirmation regarding the X-Men First Class sequel. Get this. It's going to be X-Men First Class, Days of the Future Past. It's actually been confirmed, Brian Singer confirmed it to IGN, that the sequel to X-Men First Class officially will officially be titled X-Men Days of the Future Pass. Of course, the storyline is probably one of the most famous X-Men comic book stories from 1981 that saw an alternate future timeline where the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants assassinates Senator Robert Kelly. 
which leads to mutants living in internment camps while Sentinels rule the U.S. Um, Singer went on to say that it deals with aspects of the comic, but also he wants to do some new things as well, including plans to expand the X-Men franchise so it becomes an interconnected film world similar to the Avengers. So he pretty much, he opened up the possibility that we may see, you know, a blue team and a gold team. We may see X-Factor. We may see New Mutants. We may see even X-Force. Now, the thing with Days of the Future Past is it relied heavily on Wolverine, so I don't know what they're going to do with that. But seeing Sentinels finally on the big screen kind of is kind of awesome in my book. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I mean, I really enjoyed X-Men First Class. I thought that Michael Fassbender, his work as Magneto was amazing. You know, you know, Professor X, James McAvoy, was he was good, but... Fastbender would just shined as Magneto. He did such great work. And to see them actually going and digging into the books and doing Days of the Future Pass, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to bring the Sentinels to life. So be on the lookout for that. And when we get more news, of course, we will share it with you guys. On the TV side of things, Slick was talking about uh, the CW and Arrow. Um... They actually actually announced one of the new villains that we can expect to see, and that's going to be Deadshot, who some of you may know as a villain of Batman. He will be making his appearance in the CW's Arrow in the third episode of the show titled Lone Gunman. According to TV Guide, they're saying that Michael Rowe has been cast as Deadshot, so you can expect to see him in episode three. In some Marvel movie news, it looks like they're really pulling the fast track on the Ant-Man film, looking to release it in 2014, joining Captain America and Guardians of the Galaxy. So there you have it. Ant-Man definitely is fast-tracked. Be on the lookout for that in 2014. John Chu, who you know for his work on G.I. Joe Retaliation, which got pushed back, and Step Up 3D, is going to direct Masters of the Universe, allegedly. He's in talks right now. Deadline reports that Chu may sign on for the film, which is going to be produced by Sony Pictures and Escape Artists Entertainment. Of course, the film is going to follow the traditional story from the 1980s, which saw Prince Adam transforming into a warrior called He-Man to protect Eternia from Skeletor. John Chu, I mean, when when he brought the legit Cobra Commander into G.I. Joe Retaliation, he definitely gave me hope. The Masters of the Universe stories are always incredibly difficult because they're slightly campy unless you use the new Masters of the Universe where you make Prince Adam slightly younger and then, of course, you make He-Man bigger. Um, you know, it's it's a little crazy. But I'm going to be cautious about shitting on it right now and we shall see how it pans out. James in the chat said that titling the episode with Deadshot, the lone gunman, is definitely uh, blasphemous, especially with what happened, um, not only with the Colorado thing, but it was also big in X-Files, so thanks for James for sharing that little tidbit. I haven't seen X-Files in so long, I totally forgot about that. I used to watch X-Files on Channel 5 when they were in the Friday night slot, and I used to watch a ton of repeats too. I used to think that uh, the... The female agent was kind of, you know, Scully was kind of cute when I was growing up. What do you expect? I'm a nerd at heart. Anyway, as I was saying, Masters of the Universe, John Chu is stepping in to direct it. I, I can't shit on it. But you know what? Instead of trying to crank out Masters of the Universe, why don't we crank out a Voltron movie considering 
that we have the CGI and technology that already has been tested with Transformers that you can pretty much use to bring the Voltron to life. I think that that'll be an easier project than Masters of the Universe. And frankly, I think the the level of success and, and the engagement by the fans would be stronger with Voltron, which kids like giant robots, versus Masters of the Universe. I think I, I really don't see it working, but seems to be the direction Hollywood is going. In some other sequel news, and I don't understand why they're doing it, they finally found a director to bring Bad Santa 2 to the box office. Deadline reports that Steve Pink, who did Hot Tub Time Machine, will rewrite and direct the film. Of course, Billy Bob Thornton will be returning as Willie. For those of you that haven't seen Bad Santa, it's actually quite funny. It's a movie I watch every Christmas, which you can consider that to be really stupid, but it's a it's a movie I find to be very amusing. There is a message in there somewhere, which you know you got to watch the movie to understand. But every Christmas I watch Home Alone, I watch Bad Santa when they give it, I watch Elf, you know, a newer generation of Christmas movies. I used to like um, Dudley Moore's Santa Claus the movie, one of my favorites growing up, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, the original, not the stupid remake, but the original black and white. Still watch that every holiday season. So, I mean, I honestly think um, Bad Santa going going a second go around with it. You got to get Thurman Merman back. If you don't get Thurman Merman back, it's not going to be as good. He was essential to making Billy Bob Thornton say some of the craziest lines in the film. But you know, it, it, who knows the direction they're going to go? Seriously. Lastly, you got to bring back the dwarf too because he was awesome. Tony Cox is the man. As of right now, Bad Santa 2 is official, so be on the lookout for that. We'll probably see that within the next year or so. Next up, John Leguizamo signed on for Kick-Ass 2. He's going to be playing Javier, who is a bodyguard for Red Mist. Everybody from the cast is coming back. Christopher Mintz-Plasse, Nicolas Cage, Chloe Grace, and Aaron Johnson are all returning for the sequel. So I'm assuming we're going to see Nicolas Cage in flashbacks. Should be good. Yes, like, I know that the dwarf went to prison, but that doesn't mean he can't escape. Who who doesn't want to throw a dwarf down a laundry chute and have him escape from prison in a laundry bag? Come on. Ah, yes, you're right. Billy Bob Thornton did go to prison. Fuck it, maybe he comes out on parole. Maybe they do. They put him in work release. You can have fun with that. I'd love to see him in jail with the midget as, like, his cellmate. And then, of course, Billy Bob escapes, you know, to help Thurman out, some crazy shit. I'd watch it, man, just because he was he was so belligerent and it was so funny. But, again, that doesn't mean that lightning will strike twice and, and make the Bad Santa 2 just as good as 1. But a boy can dream. Last couple of bits of movie news to close things out. A Prometheus sequel is set to be released in 2014 or 2015. Michael Fassbender, Numi Rapace are both contracted to reprise their roles. Uh, Damon Lindelof is not attached as the screenwriter. So that is a bit uh, a bit concerning for me, because he did such a great job with Prometheus. So not sure if that's going to be the way to go, because he, he, he had a great understanding of the universe that was being created by Ridley Scott. But who knows? Maybe we'll get what's the equivalent of Aliens, versus Alien, where Alien was really good, then a new team came on board for Aliens, and Aliens became the shit. So, who knows? Hopefully that continues to be the trend.
Earlier, we were talking a lot about Doctor Who. Um, he's actually rearing his head again in the movie segment. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, who was the ninth Doctor in Doctor Who, will be playing Malekith the Accursed in Thor the Dark World. For those of you not familiar with the character, Malekith is the ruler of the Dark Elves who live in the world of, wow, Svartalheim. I'm sure I bludgeon that completely. He has superhuman strength and durability plus access to dark magic, but a vulnerability to iron. Eccleston joins, of course, Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Jamie Alexander, Idris Elba, Zach Levi, and Stellan Sarsgaard. The expected opening date for the film will be November 8th, 2013. So there you have it. Malekith the Accursed is your villain in Thor the Dark World. In some Ghostbusters 3 news, guess what? Bill Murray's not coming back. You know how many fucks I give? Zero. Moving on. Earlier this week, I put up a trailer for the Batman, for the new animated Batman, The Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Returns Part 1. That DVD and Blu-ray will be in store September 25th. Peter Weller, who we all know from RoboCop, will be lending his voice as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Of course, it's going to tell the story, which we all know from Frank Miller's graphic novel. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. I really like the way it looked, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm really, really, really excited. So... September 25th, if you want to pick up The Dark Knight Returns. And the last bit of movie news to wrap things up. Variety finally got somebody, uh, Variety reports that they finally got somebody to do the reboot of Jumanji. It's going to be Matt Tolmack, who was the producer for The Amazing Spider-Man. He will be producing the reboot. Also, he will be working with the original producer, uh, one of them at least, uh, William Teitler. Also, um... You know, we're going to expect to see that. We're also going to see a sequel to Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs as well. A lot of work coming out. Sequelitis running wild. A reboot of Jumanji. Who knows if it's going to be good. Honestly, I think it'll suck, but I was never a big fan of Jumanji anyway. So that's it, ladies and gents. We are wrapping up episode 149. Last last thing I got to throw out there, Slick will be reviewing Total Recall this weekend. So if you are looking forward to uh, Total Recall... Be on the lookout for a review from our very own Slick this weekend. All right, guys, that's it. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 149 for Thursday, August 2nd, 2012. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or have any questions or concerns, you can hit up our feedback line. Actually, you can hit me up on email first, uh, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also leave comments, or you can also, if you feel comfortable doing it that way and not sending an email, you can use the feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your messages played on air, please make sure to specify that at the start of the message. If you're using social media, MTR is all over the place. You can follow us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, where even on MySpace... Uh, myspace.com forward slash my take radio and of course facebook you can become a fan there if you're using google plus add us to your circle lastly make sure to pick up the mtr app for android and ios devices you can find that of course for android in the amazon android store and also for ios devices on itunes if you want to listen to mtr you can use the blog talk radio feed which has terrible audio or you can do yourselves a favor and download the Stitcher Smart Radio app, stitcher.com forward slash my take. 
you get the 96K audio, plus you get access to some of the exclusive stuff that we release, including MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic. Lastly, you can find us on the Zoom Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and any of the other podcast hosting outlets. That's going to wrap it up. I will catch you guys next week. Make sure to check out our gaming sponsors, Creaction Interactive, and also look out for their game, Oravim, as well. I will see you guys next week for the big MTR 150, where I'll be joined by the crew from Darksiders, plus some familiar voices from past episodes of MTR as well. Thank you guys for listening. As always, thank you for your support. I will catch y'all next week. Peace. I think we're going to take it back and dig into the crates and use Trailblazer from the Killer Instinct soundtrack.